Thanks for joining us for today's sermon. We are always so encouraged to hear how God is working in your life. If the messages of this church have touched you in some way, please share that with us by clicking on the contact tab at lifesc.org to send us an email. And if you would like to give to this ministry, you can do so online to help us bring messages just like this one to you each week. It is our prayer that God blesses you through this message today. Today I want to talk to you about a heavenly home, and I have a slant toward parenting toward the end, but um, if you're not a parent here, I apologize. Just uh, take a doggy bag home. (laughs) You'll need it in the future. And if you're a parent here, you're like, oh, Lord, preach, Pastor. I'm exhausted. (laughs) Um, Some people don't feel like parenting has too many perks. I... um, I'm thankful for parenting um, that because um, if without the good parenting that my wife got, we wouldn't have raised our kids very well. I, I didn't have good parenting. Hey, man, I didn't have good modeling. So I was thankful. For, I'm thankful for the good parenting that my wife was given. Amen. So let's read the word of the Lord. Isaiah 65 and 17. It says, for behold, I create if you prefer to stand, if that's your custom, that is fine. Isaiah 65, 17 for behold. Uh, I create, I will read here, see, I will create new heavens and a new earth, and the former things will not be remembered, nor will they come to mind. It's talking about a new heaven and a new earth, amen? How many want to go there? Uh, It's all right if you say yes, because there can be a little holy hedonism. I want to go to heaven, amen? I'm interested. If you think it's spiritually immature, that's okay. I want to go to heaven. I don't, this earth is not my home. My grandmother used to sing, I'm just passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. And I'm excited about heaven. And I want to preach to you about a heavenly home. Jesus, would you empower us and give our minds strength as we share the word of God today? Let the word of God bring forth faith as you promised it would be. Your word is anointed already because it is your word. So as we share it, let that anointing affect our spirits. In Jesus, name. Everybody said amen. 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 You may be seated. I know we have a dedication today, so if you have lunch reservations, you will get there. I'm going to hurry. I'm going to hurry. I am the way, the truth, and the life, Jesus said. Are you glad about that? That means that you don't have to know everything to still know truth. That means you don't have to know everything to still have the way to God. And that means you don't have to have everything going right for you to live a good life. Because if you have Jesus, you have life. If you have Jesus, you have truth. And if you have Jesus, you have the right way. Amen. If you wouldn't have said that, any other religion would have worked. We would have all got to the same place based upon however we decided we were going to approach God. But religion has failed us. Amen, somebody. Religion is man's approach to God. Whenever God gave us his approach to us, because he said, I want you to be washed in the blood, sanctified by the Spirit. Somebody say amen. And so in that new birth experience that we experience, we know that that's not just a ticket to heaven. That's a ticket to live everlasting life on earth. Amen. When you get filled with God's spirit, you are now living eternal life in time. You have to understand that your heavenly walk with God begins now that the Holy Ghost in us is the earnest or the down payment of our inheritance. And we have to understand that the church is best motivated, the the most powerful motivator of the church, whether it's evangelism, whether it's reaching out to friends or family, whether it's telling people about who Jesus is. The greatest and mighty motivator of the church is that we have a heavenly home to go to. There's going to come a day when the trumpet 
shall sound, and the dead in Christ shall rise, and we that are alive and remain shall be caught up together to meet him, them in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Amen. Are you excited about a heavenly home today? That means that Congress can't fix it. That means the president will not make it better. That means no matter who's in the office, they're either crazy or not, they cannot make it better. Amen? I'm not being political right now. I just, I'm just saying. But what I want you to understand is that heaven is the greatest hope that you could ever put in your life, in your home, and in your walk with God. In fact, the scripture says that we are supposed to rejoice in our heavenly hope. We don't rejoice because the song service went well. Yeah, we do sometimes. I don't rejoice when the song, I, I really don't rejoice when things go bad, but that's because I'm a little atypical, okay? I, I, I think Christian music ought to have a good beat, sound good, work good, feel good. That's how I feel. It shouldn't be like, you know, Gregorian chant. Amen, somebody. I think church isn't about being silent. I think the Bible says through David that we should shout unto God with a voice of triumph. We should make known his praises among men. We should be glory, we should give him glory and honor, and that in doing so our praise is our weaponry, amen. That praise fights battles we cannot fight with our preparation as men. So I, I'm grateful for the fact that I have a heavenly home. And so I rejoice in that fact. And there's nothing greater than the fact that the scripture says also that we are supposed to comfort one another in the hope of heaven. Are you glad about heaven today? I'm so thankful for heaven. John is on an island called Patmos. He's in prison. Anybody been there? Uh, don't raise your hand because you know prison is a place where you cannot do the things you want to do. You can't just freely go from one place to another. And, and so John is exiled on an island in the Mediterranean Sea, and it's called Patmos. It's just one big rock. There's really nothing on the island but just a, a place where they put hardened criminals. And John is not a hardened criminal. They, if you think you're having a bad day on Thursday Friday, just remember John the Revelator's day. He's, he's having a bad day every day. Amen. But the Bible tells me something very special about John because he said, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day. Amen. In other words, he said, doesn't matter where you are or what you're doing. Doesn't matter your environment or your circumstance. If you will just lift your hand and if you'll begin to praise and begin to worship your God, that God will show up wherever you are in a jail cell. He'll show up in a conference room. He'll show up in a sales meeting. God will sneak into places you may not have thought he'd show up up. He'll come in to a bar. He'll walk his way in to a place of ill repute and he'll tap somebody on the shoulder and said, you were made for more than this. You were meant to do more. There's more inside of you than what you're living right now. God will reach to people with a heavenly hope and say there's more because he's a God who parents us. Amen. He's a God who parents us. Do you know what the word parent means in the original language? The word parent in Latin means to bring forth. In other words, God is parenting all of our potentials. Think about that for a minute. You don't have to have children to understand that God is raising you up. Amen. That he's lifting you up, that he's carrying you. In fact, when John was on the Isle of Patmos, the angel of the Lord said unto him, come up. 
In other words, he's saying, I want to show you some things and we can peer through the door that John walked through when he was translated into heaven and he saw things and the angel said, write what you see about heaven. I want you to chronicle it and put it down. He said, come up. In other words, what he means is when we began to look through and take a voyeuristic journey with John through his visions of heaven, we understand that when we look at heaven and we believe on heaven and we hope in heaven, there's this lift that takes place in our human hearts, in our lives. And regardless of whether we work in a cubicle jungle or whether we have the kind of job where we're a free entrepreneur or we have things that we're doing that we really love our job or whether we just work on things that we just have to do to get a paycheck, regardless of what your concerns are, regardless of your family situation, you can know this through John. A, you can worship God and he'll show up where you are. And B, if we live out a hope of heaven and understand the place that we're going, it will lift your spirits higher. It will pick you up. Amen. It will lift you up. We are commanded to comfort each other on these words. Heaven is mentioned 1,865 times in the Old Testament. It's mentioned 316 times in the New Testament. The Bible said we are to rejoice in that hope. We want to, we want to, get feel, we want to feel good. You can feel good just talking about heaven. But the problem is the, the, the enemy of our soul has so taken heaven's discussion off the table that maybe some of us haven't even talked about heaven for months, days, and years. We haven't spent time preaching on it as much as we should. We haven't spent time rejoicing over it as much as we should. But God is bringing us forth. He's, he's parenting us. He's watching over us. He's bringing us towards something greater. He's saying, I'm bringing you to something higher. And regardless of where you find yourself today, I want you to know that even when you point to something higher than where you are right now, you are still honoring God to say there's a better way, there's a better truth, and there's a better life in Jesus Christ. Someone said amen. 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 I know this feels like a sermon to some of you. You're like, hey, he's yelling a lot. Why does he do that? I want him just to talk to me. I don't need to be yelled at. I grew up being yelled at, and so I don't like being yelled at myself, but the reason why I'm so excited about this point, and about this first point especially, is because, and maybe it's just a, a concern as a pastor, I see so many people that want the product before the payment. I see so many people that want to go to heaven, but they're not interested to live in living for God down here. I, I'm, I see so many people that are like, yeah, I'll take the motorcycle and make payments on it. Yeah, I'll take the new phone and make payments on it. We have such a lease society. Our culture is so, uh, so built on, can I make the monthly payment, right? I mean, some people feel that way about so many things. And some people are like, I just want it without paying for it. I want the benefit without living for it, especially in our, our, our sex-driven culture and our hookup culture. I have to tell you that so many people want the benefits of marriage relationship be forever making the covenant commitment in the marriage relationship. I'm not interested in telling you what you have to do. I'm just preaching the word of God. The Bible said the best life and the blessed life are those that know his word and walk therein. Amen. 
And you have to understand that whenever I'm here talking to you and I'm, I'm trying to get some motion in your faith that creates emotion in your heart, I want you just to respond to the word, not because of the way I present it, not how good the band was, not how good the church looked. I want you to come here and begin to feel the motion of heaven in your heart and the faith of God lifting you higher and the hope of heaven showing up in this room. And all of a sudden you say, you know what? I can get out of where I am. I can step beyond of what I've been through. Through. I'm not defined by where I've been. I'm defined by where I'm going. Heaven is my home, and someday I'm going to be with the Lord. The original language for heaven is, I can't even say it, Shinnokoyim or something like that. It means heights. Another word in Hebrew is Uranus, actually the way that they say it is Uranus, I believe. And it's where we get the word Uranus for the planet Uranus. This is suggests a high or lifted up or an elevation place. John was caught up immediately, the Bible said. Immediately. Do you know how far that would have to be if that was really a place beyond our atmosphere and our understanding, beyond the, the at atmosphere, beyond the troposphere, beyond the stratosphere, beyond the ionosphere? You know, you do the science. You guys, some of you are science heads. You love science. You do the math. That, that, when, when we talk about John being able to be translated into this presence of God, I'm thankful for that because I need that kind of faith. I don't know about you, but I need to be lifted from some things that I'm walking to. And through 100 million, if you know our solar system, we're just now beginning to see the different planets. We know all that. Maybe you had a little thing above your bed when you were a kid of all the planets, but we're starting to understand how far the universe reaches and how we don't even understand the depths of the universe. And yet, this is what we are talking about is heaven. We're talking about a place where God is preparing a place for us. Scripture tells us in so many places that he's gone to prepare a place for us. And in my text, I was talking to you a little bit about what God is doing to prepare a new heaven and a new earth. But then also in John 14 and 1, look at these words carefully. Let not your heart be troubled. Anybody know of someone with a troubled heart? He said, believe in God. If you believe in God, believe also in me. This is Jesus talking in his words. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. If you believe in the literal creation of heaven and earth in seven days and God rested, if you believe that it was a 24-hour day or else the bees would have died, the other things, plants would have died, pollination wouldn't have happened, if you understand all of that and it took God seven days to create the heavens we know and the earth that we know, how long has it taken him to come back? And what is he possibly preparing for us in heaven? I want you to hear me when I say, if he's gone this long, he's preparing something amazing. Amen? My, my mother used to cook. I don't know if you guys have mothers or grandmothers that used to cook and smell the house up. And we'd come in for Thanksgiving like maybe some of you did. And we'd all bring dishes. And, and my grandmother had been cooking all day. And, and I said, Grandma, how long did that take? And she said, well, it took me all day yesterday to prepare. And it's taken me most of today to get all this ready to put on the table. And man, did we have a feast. We had carb load like you wouldn't believe. 
and we would all have that tryptophan nap, tryptophan nap, and we would all be excited, and all this food was set out, and then you'd go back to the table again. I, I'm not preaching against gluttony right now, because I think there might have been some going on, but hey, it was Thanksgiving, and we were excited. But it took her two days to prepare a place for us to have a great meal. How long has God been gone? I mean, if a thousand, if a year is a thousand, you know the scripture, if you read it, if, if we don't have a comprehension of God's eternity and our time and he's been gone this long, I'm guessing he's preparing a great place for us. Amen? That's what I would assume. And it goes on in verse 3, and I go to prepare a place for you, and I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am there ye may be also. This was Jesus talking to his uh, disciples. And what we find here in John 14 and 1 is that he's giving a promise. And when he gave this promise, he said, this is something that you need to believe in. This is a heavenly home that you need to believe in. And not only do you need to believe in it, but then he uses a, a two-verse uh, quotation that every young man used to use when they wanted to impress and, in, and inspire a girl to say yes to his offer of hand in marriage. Whenever you were a Jewish young man, you didn't have to go on a game show you didn't have to do it on a baseball field in front of a bunch of people. You didn't have to do something elaborate that fit on Facebook, Twitter, and wherever else you want to put it. This was not a photo moment. What happened is the young Jewish man would build a dowry that he wanted to give to the young lady that he wanted to marry. And then he would come to her and give her whatever token he had. And he would talk to the parents, say, I have this dowry. I believe she's worth this. And how many know that you ought to teach your daughters that she's worth more than anything else she's worth more than anything else in the world to you so that when she finds a man she believes that she is worth everything amen so he would come to her and what they would often do is they would do it sometimes in the square of the city they would do it often in a place that was somewhat known as family but he would maybe kneel down or he would make his token known to her and he would say I want you to be my wife I want you to be my bride and he would give her that token and he would repeat the words in my father's house are many mansions in other words what they would do in the Jewish times is they would take the person that was the man that was offering to the young lady would then offer her if she, if she said yes he would go back to his father's house and he would build an addition on his father's house so that she could come and live with him because now she was going to be a part of his family so a lot of the Jewish homes had all these different additions it was like mobile homes just stuck together you know it was just like you know it was amazing but they would build all these additions onto the houses and so what they would say is they would offer it and if she said yes he would repeat the words in my father's house are many mansions if it were not so I would have told you I go to prepare a place for you and if I go to prepare a place for you I will come again and receive you unto myself that where I am there ye may be also they would repeat that word for word to the young lady that said yes and so when Jesus got ready to say what he was doing everybody knew these words they were common words to their culture so when when he began to say it, they got excited because they knew that he was going to his father's house to prepare a place for us. And when he comes again, he shall not forget us, amen, but he shall come again and he will take us to his father's house, amen. Oh, that's good preaching if I say so myself. 
So they knew that there was a hope of another place in his words of encouragement. I don't know about you, but when we look at the things that God has blessed us with, I want you to know that I want to live a new life in Christ Jesus because I'm going to a new place in him. Amen. Colossians 3 and 1 says, If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above. Everyone say above. Seek those things which are above. Where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. For set yourself, your affections on things above. Everyone say set your affections. That means don't love this earth or the things of it, but love the things of heaven and the things that are of God. Not on the things of the earth, for if ye are, for ye are dead and your life is hid with Christ in God. In other words, you're dead to those old ways and old paths of thinking, but you're new in Christ. Verse four, when Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall ye also appear with him in glory. And I would get an amen there, I believe. Mortify, therefore, your members. In other words, it says, cut off those things that are, um, that are, are against, that are earthy, that are against the things of heaven, which are upon the earth. Fornication, uncleanliness, inordinate affections, evil concupiscence, you can look that up later, and covetousness, which is idolatry. And then it says, for which things sake... For which things sake the wrath of God cometh on the children of disobedience, in which ye also walked some time. We used to be there. Amen. We're not anymore. When ye lived in them. But now ye also put off the things, these things, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication out your mouth. Lie not one to another, seeing that ye have put off the old man with his deeds and have put on the new man. Everyone say new man. Touch your neighbor and say, new man. Amen. Amen. Which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him. Where, therefore, is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcision nor uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, bond nor free. In other words, he said, it's not religion. It's not relation. It's not, it's not who you were or what you were. It's the fact that you are in Christ Jesus now. And you are all in him. Amen. Verse 12, put on, therefore, all the... As the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercy, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another. We're supposed to put up with each other, amen? Some of you, that's preaching right there. Right, to put up with one another. Forbearing one another and forgiving one another. And any, if any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye forgive them. On credit, amen, and above all things, put on charity, which is love in the scriptures, which is the bond of perfectness, and let the peace of God rule your hearts. Where does the peace of God rule? In your hearts, that which also ye are called in one body, and be ye thankful, amen, somebody. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your heart to the Lord and whatsoever you do in word and deed, do all in what? Do all in what? In the name of the Lord, giving thanks to God and the Father by him. I'm grateful for a heavenly hope. How about you? Amen. See, the beauty of that is it's supposed to bring comfort. It's supposed to bring a rejoicing to us. But the problem is when we leave that heavenly hope at church and we don't take it home. I'm not talking about just a heavenly home. I want to tell you just for a minute that you need to have a heavenly hope in your home.
You need to talk about heaven to your children. You need to advise them on the things that are of God. You need to help them understand what is a lie from our culture or the things that are not necessarily healthy for their living and their lifestyle. The places that they would go that would bring risk and harm to their future relationships and help them to understand that walking in the ways of God is wholesome. Walking in the ways of God is healthy. That you don't have to have a testimony of being a drug addict and coming back to God. That you can have the best testimony, which is, I never touched it. I never drank it. I never went there. I never tried it. I didn't have to because I had something better. I had a hope of heaven. My parents talked about it. My grandparents lived it. My mom and dad walked it. They weren't perfect, but they knew that God was going to give them a great home. And we lived it out in our home and we had the comfort of the Holy Ghost there. And we had the hope of heaven in our home. There's several things you have to do with your kids. It's funny in Romans 4 and 18 that Abraham is talking about the blessings of God and he's trying to believe God for many things because God has made a promise to Abraham. And I want to give you a couple things here that you can use in the parenting future and even in parenting your own potentials in life and the things that you're trying to become and the places you're trying to go because how can you ever take your kids to this level if we only live at this level? How can we inspire them to go to places? Because you see, for me, I know that what I believed was behaved before me. What you believe in is what you've had modeled in front of you. The greatest thing you can do is model a heavenly home. Model a home of hope. Model a home that takes the limits off of your children. Don't look at them and say, because you can't, you probably won't. But look for the places where they excel. Look for the things that they can do. Find places in them where, where you can encourage and tell them, even if they're not good at it yet, believe on them and they will begin to believe on themselves. Amen. If you can take somebody and just build them up. I, I know my, my father is not necessarily the ideal person that you would put up as saying, hey, this is a person that you want to live your life like, but I still love my father. I still believe in my father. And if there's lessons I've learned, I've learned many lessons from him. You should hear the times when I'm on the phone talking to him about church things and he has a wisdom. Even though he hasn't always walked with God, he still has a wisdom from when he did walk with God and he still shares it with me and he tells me, well, this is what you need to do, baby. <laughs> he he tells every, calls everybody baby. Even if you're a 50-year-old man, he calls you baby because that's just my dad from Texas. But this is, this is one thing that I learned from him is that even if you're living down here, tell your kids they can live up here, amen? Amen. Even if you can't get away from the bottle, go ahead and tell your kids you can be the first man in our family that lives beyond this curse of alcoholism. Maybe you struggle with too much lust and you have a problem clicking on websites you shouldn't really be at. And you're like, man, I wish I had better self-control. But you can tell your children you don't need to live a life down here. You can live a life up here. I believe in you and you can do it and you can be the first you can be the first to break the curse you can live beyond where you are you can live beyond where your grandparents lived you can live beyond where your parents even lived if you will just point them beyond where you are and give them a hope amen they will be drawn toward it bring forth out of your children the best things in their life number one is you have to teach them how to handle anger 
and how to handle the things that are going to come against them in life. Because if you don't raise your kids with an understanding that the things that they see that they don't like modeled before them, they will tend to do at some level, even if they didn't like it, because they understand the efficiencies of it. When dad always got angry and tossed things around the house and everybody had to run around and walk on eggshells and give dad everything he wanted, you don't like that as a human being. You understand that is a broken situation and that is abuse. But when you get to the point where you want to get something done, you will not necessarily understand that because you saw people just handing things and giving things, you will be modeled that anger is efficient and anger will get you what you want faster than kindness will. And whether you like it or not, you will use some form of passive aggressive nature to get the things that you want even though you didn't like it in your former upbringing. So you have to understand that whenever you're teaching your kids things that are wholesome and healthy, you have to teach them often how to behave even if you are not the best at it yourself. I sometimes have to apologize to my kids because I'm like, don't do that, and I might be a little bit harsh. Or don't go there, or don't be this, or don't do whatever it is. I'm not going to give you examples because I don't have any in mind right now because I love my kids. They're, they're great kids. But in the moment, for instance, getting donuts this morning, we were at the, yeah, I have an example. It took me a minute. We're going to talk about donuts for a minute. This is where the anointing preaching comes because I'm talking about donuts. All those that are really healthy, just ignore me for a minute. We're getting donuts. Eden is so helpful. She's going to sit in the front seat with this big old thing of donuts in her face. And I'm like, no, that doesn't work. I'm going to clear out the trunk. So I go to take the donuts, and I'm about to walk away. And she reaches over and grabs the only plastic piece on my door and begins to pull the whole weight of the door with that plastic piece. And I went, don't do that. <laughs> no. <laughs> I, I have the gift of no. Amen. I often use no a lot. But it was too harsh. For the situation. It was too much. And so when I got in the car, I explained, look, I didn't want it to break. So I hollered and I shouldn't have. But I want you to know that I was trying to protect something and I, I was a little bit too harsh. Are you okay? She's like, good dad. <laughs> We're good. That's way too much explanation. <laughs> Just don't grab the plastic part on the door was enough, dad. We're, we're good. We're, we're square. But I wanted to know that even when I was raised with an angry father, I don't want to be an angry father. I don't want to use passive aggressive techniques. I don't want to have emotionally scarred um, daughter or wife in my life where I'm, I'm getting things that I want because I'm using the things that still work, but they're just, they're just less than what I saw modeled. And so you have to teach them how to deal with their frustrations, how to deal with their anger. You have to model before them because whatever you believe often is what was behaved in front of you. And being who God created us to be is more important 
to us. We have to understand that when we're teaching our kids for them to be what God called them to be, we have to instruct them that you being who God created you to be is more than just you being who God created you to be. Because when you take on the purpose that God put in your life and become who God created you to be, you are actually living out something in front of others that allows them to see the hope of heaven in your life and they are then given permission to be what God called them to be. So you're not just living this because you want to be all that you want to be. You're living this so that someone else can see your good works and your example and glorify God because of your testimony and your walk with God. I believe that the Holy Ghost is an excellent spirit. Why don't you grade the next sunrise you're awake for? And see how God did. The colors and the beauty and the amazement. And how many love flowers in here? Aren't you glad God didn't just create one? He knew we had a short attention span. He said, I'm going to create beauty. And I'm going to create good things. And God is that spirit. Amen. And I believe when you get the Holy Ghost in you, you get a spirit of excellence. You desire better things. And your spirit will ping and tell you when you're not living better things. I don't even have to preach it. You know. Your conscience will talk to you and say, this is not as high as I can go. And that's not perfectionism. That's not a competitive spirit that I'm talking about. I'm not talking about getting your kids involved in sports and getting them Nike ID cleats because you want them to have game. You don't want your kids to be those kids. <laughs> the kids that have all the gear and no game. Amen? <laughs> was it that you know you know what I'm talking about they show up and they have all the stuff I had a friend that came golfing with me one time dude showed up in knickers showed up with his little you know his hat and his little argyle sweater and I'm like bro really and he's like man we're golfing let's play some golf man and I'm like all right sounds good let's warm up and I'm I'm warming up my swing you know I'm getting everything dialed in and I'm playing and he's over there just talking away leaning on his big driver and I'm like dude is a joke man I don't even know if this guy and I'm thinking probably he's really good so I'm really getting stretched out you know I'm like okay I need another 20 yards on this drive <laughs> you know hips turn you know I'm working really hard to get ready he gets up and he duffs it and sends it off to another tee. And I'm like, got all the gear, but he's got no game. You don't want your kids to have that, amen? You need to get them a used car when their first car shows up. You need to get, let them have some hand-me-downs, amen? You need to let them work to get the game before you get them the gear, amen? So God is the same way. He's not, gonna, he's not just going to give you everything and let you have it all and not have you work on it. You not only have a deposit from God, but you need to develop what God has deposited, amen? God has given you gifts. You know you're gifted. You know you're, you've got things that others don't have. But sometimes when we look at people that have gifts just, you know, running off of them, they just have, you know, gifts everywhere. You think it just is, comes easy for them. They just know how to serve that ball. They just know how to do this. They just know how to do that. They're just good at earning money and I'm not or whatever it is. You just think, man, look at all the giftings and why didn't I get any of it? There must have been a line in heaven that said, here, you get all the gifts, and over here, you just get some, or maybe one. But 
You have to understand that whenever we look at gifted people, we can think that they don't have to work for it. Just because you have gifts doesn't mean you're not responsible to develop those gifts. If you're going to live with an excellent spirit, if you're going to live as heaven your home, then you're not going to live as a perfectionist, which means I have to be the best or with a pride and competitive spirit that said, I have to beat everybody. What you'll live with is not just being your best, but it's being your best for heaven, being your best for God, being your best for him. And if you compete with yourself, you will improve better than if you compete with anybody else. Scripture tells us it's unwise to compare us to each other. But when we talk about heaven, when we talk about a heavenly home, when you teach your kids to do better than you were yesterday and do better tomorrow than you did yesterday, you are teaching them how to live an excellent spirit in life. I believe in excellence, amen? I believe we should do things as the best we can. I'm preaching about parenting. I'm preaching about a heavenly home. And I'm skipping a bunch of really good preaching right now. Just because. Because it's God's word. But I wanted to give you some information that you can use. Not only do you need to parent well and pull forth out of them, but you also need to let God parent your potential and pull you higher. You need to build a home that's a safe place, a home that is pulling by the power of the Holy Ghost them toward hopes of the future. Isn't it interesting? I don't know about you, but whenever we participate with God in the gifts he's embedded in us, we develop what he's given us. One famous theologian wrote about prayer and he was writing about several different things and he wrote about the gifts that God gives and he said, the gifts that God give you, gives you is God's gift to you. What you give back to him is your gift to him. How many gifts are dormant in your life that you haven't even seen used yet? And I, I know we listen to all kinds of preaching about David, but look at David. He could play on the harp, and he could war. He was a warrior. Dude could strum. <laughs> it doesn't take much to understand that that's an oxymoron, amen, that those two don't go together. But you have to understand that he would have never been a warrior the way he needed to be if he wasn't sensitive to the Spirit of God in music. In other words, we think that David's war, his ability to be a warrior and to defeat Goliath was what got him the kingship, was what got him before Saul, what, what got him the, the places of excellence that he went to. But you have to understand that when he was strumming that little harp out taking care of his daily duties of taking care of the sheep was where he learned how to play with excellence. And when Saul was troubled by an evil spirit, I'm almost done, the Bible said that the servants of Saul said, go and find someone who is skillful on the lyre or skillful in the harp. They didn't bring David into the palace because he was good with a slingshot. They didn't believe, bring David into the palace because he was good at praying or he was good at sensing the spirit of God. They brought David into the palace because the bro could shred. <laughs> I looked at you intentionally because <laughs> he's a good guitarist. He, they brought him in because of his talents. And if you see the listing of David's talents, the, 
in the scriptures, they listed all of David's talents. And then at the end, they said, because he was a man that knew God. The last thing the world may notice about you is that you are somebody that walks with God. But they should be able to see Jesus in the way you do business. They should be able to see Jesus in the way you get, in the grade you get on your report card. You shouldn't have to put a cross on your business logo for them to know it's a Christian business because you treat people right and you do business. If you're a mechanic, you ought to take care of cars and you ought to take care of them right and at a reasonable price. If you are an accountant, you ought to do things right. You ought to get them numbers right. If you are a business person in any way, shape, or form, people ought to not see a fish on your logo. They ought to see that Jesus Christ is in your business, in your life, walking with you, and you are a person that has a heavenly hope. Where was I? I got off. So anyways, there is, I'll jump to this. There was a man who had a farm. I'm finishing with David in a minute. There was a man who had a farm and he bought it and he was a pastor and he decided he wanted to do some agricultural stuff and he got there and he found broken windows and potholes and gopher holes and he had all this work to do and he worked on it religiously. Every Saturday when he was off work, he would work on it and he tilled the land and he worked and he did all the things that you do on a farm because I don't know because I'm not from a farm. I've never been on a farm so I really don't know what they do on a farm but he did, he did farming stuff, okay? Farming stuff is what he did and he made it look amazing and then next to her neighbor came over the other farm, we'll call him Farmer Brown. He came over and he said, man, pastor, you've done a great job with this place. Look at how beautiful this farm is now. You've really fixed it up. And he said, well, well you should have seen what it was like when Jesus had it by himself, <laughs> when God had it by himself. In other words, there are some things that God will put in you that if you don't develop them, you will never step into the destiny of those things. And I'd hate for you to miss your moment. I'd hate for you to miss your moment. There's comfort in knowing that there's a heavenly home. It should design our behavior. It should help us. And it should absolutely um, govern our experience. I want to celebrate heaven today. That's what I want to do. I want to celebrate heaven in my heart. Amen. But as we get ready to go into our dedication, I want to tell you this that the best thing you can do for your kids is remove the lid. Remove the lid from their life. So you can be whatever you want to be. You can go wherever you want to go. You can do whatever you want to do. Even when my kids were horrible at piano, <laughs> tink, 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 and they were learning piano, I said, baby, that's good. You're good at that. I just like how you, I, you have such fluidity in your fingers and you're amazing. You're so good. Look how far you can reach almost a full octave. Wow, in those little hands, but you can reach a full octave. That's amazing. And my daughter would just turn into sunshine just right there, just like, okay, Dan, Mary had a little lamb. And go back to her one finger playing. Now she's playing two fingers. Now I'm videoing her playing. My son's playing difficult pieces. And he's like, he's like, man, this is a great piece. And he shows it to me. And there's so many notes on the music. I don't even know what that is. You know, it's like that paper got leprosy or something. It's like he's, she's, he's just playing away, looking at the music. And I'm like, that was in them, even when they weren't good at it. 
And there's stuff in you that you can cut off that God wants to use just because you're not good at it yet. But if you let the Holy Ghost work on it, if you just put some time into it, I just read a book not too long ago, an excerpt that looked at the, the excellency of, of some pianists who were internationally known and they were, they were um, above the class. They were amazing pianists and they went through and they asked them their training and all of them without fail started with a local piano teacher in their suburb or in their subdivision or in a, a local place. They weren't notorious for invitationals. They didn't re win regionals. They didn't win any nationals. They weren't known to be amazing. But what they had was they had an interest. And what you do in your kids when you begin to say you can do it, when you take the lid off and say you're, a you're able and you give them an interest to continue on, that is the one thing that can make them great at anything is the power to give them interest in something because they have the approval that you have invested in them. And I'm grateful for a heavenly home. I'm grateful for every time we have heaven in our home. And I'm grateful for the fact that I'm going someplace and I have the approval of my father who is someday going to say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Have we done it well all the time? No. Have we got it right every single time? No. Have we tripped and fell many of times? Yes. But I've got the approval of my father and it builds the interest and the desire in me to keep on going. And someday he's going to call my ups and my downs. Well done. Well done. I hope you know today that it's not about how good you are. It's about how much you keep going. It's about how much you celebrate where you're going. Today let's stand I'm excited about this word. I hope you felt my energy here. I hope you felt the understanding that when we have heaven as our home, there's nothing that can keep us from the power of God in our life. And I hope you understand that the best, the best sermon you can live out is doing an excellent thing or doing something well. Amen? Doing your job well, being on time, being faithful to things that people cannot. And funny thing is that whenever you have a heavenly hope, you're better on earth. When you live for heaven, you live better down here. It's proof. Go study it out. There's all kinds of stuff that I can't get to about the understanding of when you have a heaven that you call home, you live better on earth. There's something about it. And so today I want to pray with you before we go to our dedication. And I'm just going to ask that the Lord would impress us today to have an excellent spirit in all things. Jesus, your spirit is here. We felt you here. We know that you're calling us to a heavenly home. I want to go to that place that John spoke about where there's great hope and there's great, uh, there's, there's great light and there's a, a city where there is no sun because you are the light, God. And there's a place where there's streets of gold. It's not a fake place. It's a real place. You wouldn't have promised us that you go to prepare a place if it wasn't real. And God, I pray if there's anybody here that has been living just kicking the rocks and just trying to get through and just... Just, just winding their way down the path of life with their head down, just focused on job and career and, and what's next and pay that bill. And, and, and I pray that we can lift our heads and that we're not so, so focused on just life's path, but we're focused again, Lord Jesus, on a heavenly hope that you can save, Lord Jesus, to the uttermost and that if you spared 
John on the Isle of Patmos just so that he could have a glimpse of heaven. You thought it important enough to to spare a prophet from a a pot of boiling oil and, and put him on an island somewhere so that he could have just a glimpse of heaven and be able to write just about heaven. God, then it's that important that all of his life work would come to the point of saying heaven is something to be desired, that it would comfort us and we should rejoice in it. We rejoice in it today in Jesus' name.